Yeah, so over the last 18 months, I've been having many conversations with folks at various different fintech outfits, and everybody is saying the same thing, that integrations are hard. Their dev teams are too overloaded and don't have the time to take on new work. And they are skeptical when I walk in and say, maybe I've got a solution for you. And ultimately, the conversations end up devolving into how do you solve for this problem? How do you solve for that problem in real specifics? And it takes away from the bigger picture of let's just run with this. Let's see how far we get and you know poke holes in this by actually doing something rather than just sitting around bike shedding based upon the ways that you've had your fingers burnt in the recent past. That's interesting. So I've got I've got so many thoughts on this particular problem because I've run into the same thing, right? Like you, you talk to people and and everyone wants other people's data. And and if you strip it all the way back to kind of first principles, it's it's really pretty straightforward. Like every single platform is just other people's data manipulated and transposed into a different place or style or whatever. And so, you know, data, data transformation becomes really, really important. But no one, I, I don't think anybody really does it well. You know, so I, I, I'm just really super curious how how you think about that in a way that's holistic and not in the weeds. I think the, the interesting, what you said there at the, at the start of that about this data, whatever vendor you go to for, for data, a lot of the times it's coming from somewhere else anyway. And then it's got some other stuff layered on top of it. It's almost like that um, meme that goes around of the uh, the knowledge iceberg, and you know at the at the very top, what you see above the surface is um, the data that you're actually getting from the vendor. But then you get below the surface and you descend deeper into the murky depths of the ocean below, and there's just vendor after vendor, and they're all just layering stuff on top of one another, and. The frustrating thing is that when you go back up to the top of that iceberg and you get that data back, you've lost any kind of context as to where that data came from originally. And so if you then wanted to correlate it against maybe you've got another data set from somewhere else, which has that same sort of hierarchical nature of layering, that at some point there's going to be like a common ancestor, but you've kind of lost all context. So it becomes very difficult to um, be able to correlate that stuff back to one another. You're listening to the Proof Partners podcast. For more information, check out proofpartners.io. Sorry, that was just a thought that popped into my head there when you were mentioning that. Um, there was another part to your question there, which has now escaped me. It's fine. So, But I think that's, we talk a lot, and in, in certainly in our work together in, in fintech, we talk a lot about the source of truth. And I think that's what you're getting at, is that once once there's abstraction and transformations and there's distance from, from where the, the data originated from, you have a really hard time extracting the true value of it or understanding this, the, the nuance around its formation or why it matters. It just becomes sort of this anonymous detritus that's flowing through you know all of these different systems and oh you know like things that humans can pick up on like names right that's easy date of birth easy but then you start to get into to really abstract data sets around you know financial numbers that out of context are meaningless and I, I think that's what you're talking about do I have is that about right yeah yeah and I think a, a good example of this is um, things like fraud detection 
um, when you get some kind of feed of, let's say that you go from one vendor that gives you a feed of raw transactions, and then you've got another vendor that's giving you a feed of raw transactions with some kind of um, fraud detection heuristic attached to it. You know, this transaction is fraudulent, this transaction is safe. And sometimes you get only half of the picture. Maybe you'll get just like one big high level metric of to say the transactions from today are all good. Um, but there's very little insight into how that determination was arrived at because the underlying transaction data is um, omitted completely or obfuscated in some way. And so to actually be able to build, say, an application that can look at individual transactions and then give that determination in the appropriate context is a real challenge. And that, that's one specifically that I've been asked to, to look at recently. But yeah, as you say, it's just murky depths of data from different places always having different shapes. There's one other, I, I, wanted, I want to get your opinion on how to solve that best. And, it, you know, I, I know you've done work around this, so it's a bit of a lead on, but um, I want to hear that. But I also want to, to remember this other thing that you said right, right at the beginning, which is essentially that whenever you're, you're talking to folks about a specific problem, even if it touches something where you've got this kind of magnum opus of an idea, you're, you're constantly fighting this battle related to, to getting into the details of a specific problem, tactical problem right at the moment, right? And so, so people in technology are constantly putting out fires and there's so little room and there's so, it's so hard to describe and then get momentum on an idea that's a new fire truck. Everybody's just more like, go grab the shovel. Like, why do we need a fire truck? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think really to boil down what it is that I've been working on or the way that I've been looking at solving a lot of these problems is to essentially leave ego at the door. And the reason I say that, I think a lot of the reasons why we have the issues with data that we do coming from different vendors and not really being able to correlate data from one place to another is that every engineering team thinks they know best. They understand, they've got a model that represents the world better than everybody else does. And ultimately, you don't have a better model. You just have a different model. And I think to assume that there is a model that can represent every possible use case in a given domain is a fool's errand. And so what I've been working on is how do we approach this problem in a way where we just leave our ego at the door and don't try to come up with a model that best represents the world and instead build something where all models are equally valid and can be tied together in a more meaningful manner. So you're not saying you have the solution necessarily, right? Because I I, this goes back to, you know, one of the jokes Pete and I make on basically every single podcast episode, which is like, I don't care what opinion is, as long as it's mine, it's right. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so I suppose maybe there is some kind of contradiction at a low level there somewhere. And my idea is the best one because I don't have any ideas. Um, yeah, that's... I suppose there's variation on uh, what Mark Twain said there about, uh, you know, it's better to say nothing and appear stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Um, so I've been focusing on building solutions where we just, whichever vendor we're working with, we accept that model as, okay, that's how that vendor sees the world. So we can accept that model. Here's another one. That's how we can accept their data structures in their form. And we try to do as little 
transformation or mapping or anything like that as possible. So if we can consume data from all of these different places with their own original representation, then perhaps we can just find some way of linking all of that data together. So we're not transforming stuff and losing, um, you know, there's a loss of fidelity almost if you take data from one place and try to transform it from that horrible, nasty model that's not fit for purpose that the other folks wrote, we're going to transform it into our golden model that's perfect. You're going to lose something in the process. And so what we're focusing on is how can we just not do any translation at all? Just take that data as is and then link to it as required. And so and you, still, you still get the same result though, right? So at some point there's there's data translation because if you, if you have data birth with with day first and then month, and then I have date of birth because you know we're Americans and we're weird, and, and we have it the other way around, right? You, you've got to translate that at some point. So how, right. how do you think about that? So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And so, if you can retain that backwards date of birth, for example, keep it in storage all the time. Don't just translate it as soon as you encounter it. Just keep it there, and then when you actually need to represent that data, it's at that point that you transform it almost at the point of consumption rather than at the point of initial ingest. Hmm. So obviously there are, um, the impact of that is storage requirements and that sort of stuff, but trends are the same as they've been forever. You know, storage is cheap, far cheaper than um, the, the mental capacity of any um, software engineer. Interesting. Interesting. So you you're not you're not holding. Let me say it a different way and see if I can get this from from a product non technical point of view. It, you're, essentially, you're not baking in any personality from one team to the next. Any data personality from one team or org. You're not That's a really that good way in, of putting in, it. Until the last little bit, right? And then you're yeah. then you're coming in and saying, okay, I, you know, you like red sprinkles, great. I love food analogies. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. No, you're absolutely right. There it is about. Because I, I'm a big believer in um, Conway's law, in that you know the the shape of a software system ultimately follows the uh, organisational structures that built it in the first place. And so when you talk about personality, organisational personality, the personality of the individual developers that curated that that data feed, um, and not only the the structures of the data themselves, but also the ability to adhere to that structure, because so many times you receive API documentation, you build a program that can consume that, API, that data from that API, and then you find out the data is not even in that shape, or it's like a really <laughs> rough sort of interpretation of that. And so I always just find that interesting. So if you can build systems that are robust and tolerant to that, then more, more so the better. Um, but something else you said there about the, the, the challenges of having to communicate that concept to people yeah. is so difficult because a lot of the time you're having these kinds of conversations at a perhaps not a strictly technical technical level mm. and so to communicate that these sort of concepts with a technical person is much easier than it is to a non-tech it gets very hand wavy and it sounds like you're a bit of a charlatan because it's like yeah yeah we can do that we've sold it whatever <laughs> just let us let us get in and get your data and we can <laughs> show you and um, that can be quite the challenge because those people are perhaps jaded by having dealt with development teams over the years and being told no all the time. For someone to come in and say yes, or at least 
maybe, or let's find out, um, seems to be a bit of a culture shock to folks sometimes. One of the observations that, that I've had maybe recently, last two years, is that as technology, I'm going to be critical of technology for fun, um, as, as technology has lagged behind, right? And so the, the promise early on was that technology was going to solve these problems and it was going to be kind of magical, you know, beyond 2000, the shell, right? We're going to have flying cars by now, you know, what's going wrong? Um, and, and so it, it's lagged behind in some ways. And so we're still writing APIs. APIs were a huge development and now we're stuck in this quagmire of, of API uh, integration, you know, nightmare across all these different platforms. Every platform is just a bundle of APIs, right? And that's not delivering on the promise of technology. And so through the course, this is my observation, through the course of the last couple couple years, I've noticed that folks who are not technical have been forced to come down. So executives whose, whose specialty or, or strategy or finance or whatever it is that they're into, they've been forced to come down and understand very specific pieces of nuance around things like APIs, right? So if you have a, if you have a, you know, case in point is you go to any CEO in this country and anywhere and you say, and you say API, they're going to know what you're talking about. And that to me is, is horrible. They shouldn't know. They shouldn't have to know, right? But now that they do know, guess what? They're not thinking about API integrations at the level that, that Warren is where you're, you're really kind of a thought leader on this whole thing. They're thinking of it as I know what API means, and I need one of those things. That reminds me of um, something that I was asked by an executive just this week, actually, where I was sort of explaining some of these concepts, and I was at a very high level there. I've not even mentioned any of the specific technologies or languages that make up any of these um, approaches. And their first question was, "Can you use Kafka?" <laughs> Kubernetes. I, I, well, yeah. And so my, I really had to bite my tongue because my first answer was going to be, "What's a Kafka?" <laughs> you know, just explain it to me so that I am, so that I can get a sense of what you actually understand that to be. And I guess the cynic in me thinks that they don't really understand what Kafka is at all. Um, sure. It's just something that they've overhead, overheard perhaps right. at the golf club. You know, one of their other executive friends um, has a tech-enabled company that yep. uses Kafka, and they've right. heard about how it can consume millions, billions of messages per second. Yep. And they don't really know what those messages are or how yep. those messages are actions, yep. but they now know that they need it. And so that's the first question on their lips when, um, when you're talking to them. And I think that ties into what you just said there about how non-technically inclined people are being have to, having to be pulled down to this level um, mm. to be made of, aware of, specific solutions to problems when really those are all implementation details and their thoughts at that level should be the broad strategy we know that we need technology to solve this problem we know that it can help us do it but they're getting like you said pulled down into the weeds I, there's a there's an adjacent problem here that i'm really interested in, in your thoughts on and it's that so many you know, we can pick on the executives all day long, right? And rightly so, right? You know. Oh um, yeah, and absolutely. I want to. <laughs> I want to um, be clear on that. That's not mm. a dig at executives who ask questions like that. That's a dig at my side, my team. Well, that's where I was going. Right. It's, we're failing if we have to leak those implementation details. That's right. Right. And so, 
I can, I'm going to oversimplify this for the sake of, of the conversation, but when you have developers, you essentially have two classes of developers. You have the class of developer who's, who's maintained a level of curiosity about solving the true promise of technology, right? That magical thing that we all had when we got interested in technology when we were young, right? So you have those developers, and then you have the developers who might have that, they might not, but they get really, they get really excited about solutioning. I'm just going to call it solutioning. It's a terrible word, but they'll go, yeah, they'll just spend, they'll dive in to very specific technical or implementation details, get super excited about it, get super dogmatic about it. And I think, you know, the, the reason why I call it adjacent to the, to the executive conversation is that I think it's really hard for executives to know who they're talking to. So they might talk to Warren one day and you're talking about you know, API is solving the API problem essentially, right? And then the next developer they talk to is going to say, I really like Kafka. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost this, again, the cynic in me uh, creeping out here. But when you do encounter engineers like that, I just get the feeling that it's all about polishing the resume. Mm. It's all about there's a new hot technology out there and they want to have a play with it on the company's dollar. And that's something that's maybe, really important for executives to be wary of. Indeed. <laughs> it's so common. And there's perhaps there's a, a time and a place for that behavior, I think. But when it ultimately comes at the detriment of, well, now you've seen this cool new tech, you've played with it. It's actually your first rodeo using this tech. You go straight into production with it. And now the rest of you've polished up your CV. You're now going on to another place where they've already been using Kafka or whatever it is. And now you can jump straight into that team because you've got the resume uh, to bolster it. Meanwhile, the team you've just left is stuck with this technology. They didn't really <laughs> choose in the first place, but they've got to maintain and, and move forward. We're all guilty of it though, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hand up, yeah. Anything that I say here, I'm guilty of it. But I've so moved it, on from that now. I've matured. To, to say it a different way, you know, I think this is really important. If there's, if there's, you know, someone listening to this someday and they're an executive, is that de- determining or asking the right questions to determine the maturity level of someone who's leading your your tech implementation is it's super critical. And if you don't, if you don't think you can do it, you've got to find somebody who you really trust to do it. And one of the things. You know, the team that we have, you know, at, at Proof that I really appreciate is that you have that candor. You know, for example, yes, yesterday or the day before, I was talking to Vinayak about AI, which is, you know, another one. So you have like like Kubernetes, you have AI, you have the cloud. You know, these are things that executives know enough about. They want these things, right? <laughs> but yeah. they don't know what they do. And and Vinayak's just pragmatism about it was so indicative of a level of, of seniority and thoughtfulness. You know, his, his response was essentially, anybody who comes to me with an AI problem, the first answer is, or the first question I ask is, is this a, actually an AI problem? You know, like, yeah. why are you solving with that? Like, why are you solving everything with crypto? Why are you solving everything with the cloud? You yeah, know? why has everything got to be built on blockchain? Well, right. you know, blockchain's the old current thing. AI is the new current thing. Yeah, but, yeah, blockchain's the, the abandoned child now. No one cares. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> certainly... As I've matured, I've see. I now see the value in boring, unsexy solutions. Yeah, pick the most boring thing, and there's probably like a variation on Chesterton's fence there. You know, the idea if you want to tear that fence down first, you've got to give me a good reason why it's why it should be there. 
Mm. There's a variation on that. It's like, if you want to use this new tech, give me a good reason why we shouldn't. Right. Yeah, so that I know that you understand the pros and cons of it and the justification for using it in the first place. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we've kind of gone in in a really broad circle. What is it exactly that you're working on? What can you share about about your thought and how your thought process with APIs and, and where it is today and, and where you want to take it? So the two recurring themes that I've observed over the years of working with highly connected integration centric application platforms is that there are two things that are needed. One is connectivity to all these different APIs and systems. And the second is the ability to obtain some kind of analytics or business intelligence over that connected data. And so what I've been working on is the application of graph storage and knowledge graphs to these highly connected data sets, building both a persistence layer so that we can store data in a graph-like structure and the extensibility layer on top of that so that as I was mentioning earlier, we can equally represent data models from any different domain within the same graph and then connect that data together for the purposes of querying, analysis, etc. And that's obviously quite a big, big problem to bite off. So it's something we've been approaching very methodically to make sure that we don't try to do too much too soon. Again, be boring, just solve the basics first sure. of all. Get that in front of people, make it, find a way of solving problems with a really simple approach, and then be very critical about what features to add next. Again, it's that idea of if somebody comes to us asking, we've got this problem, we need you to add these features to support it. So, well, hang on a minute, let's just step back a moment. Mm. What problem are you actually trying to solve? Maybe Mm. what we've already got would solve it for you, or maybe it would get you 90% of the way there, and then we can look at what needs to be added or changed in order to get that 10%, if that 10% is even worth it in the end. What What is it? I, I get all that. There's, there's two parts of that that I want to explore just very, very briefly. The first is is that when when people say graph, I think of charts. Yeah, okay. So I, I think that that's a real, and I haven't figured out how to communicate that effectively very, very quickly, but maybe maybe you could do a better job than I can. And then the, the second part is is kind of just really tactically where are you? Does this exist? Does this idea exist? Or is it still something in the design stage? Right. So to answer that first question there about thinking of things as a graph, yeah, you're absolutely right. First thing people think of is visualizations and charts. And certainly this approach does lend itself well to to visualization. But if you think of all pretty much all data exists in a relational database, And you can think of that like a spreadsheet. So it's just a table of all of your information. And then maybe you've got multiple sheets in your spreadsheet because you've got lots of different tables. Those sheets need to be joined together and you have to have relationships between them. And if you think about highly connected data sets, that means you've got dozens, hundreds of tables. And these tables have to match how those tables look from whatever vendor you've got. So a graph, instead of treating data as rows in a table, We just treat them as dots, effectively, a little circle on a graph, and then they're connected via lines or edges. This is a very crude description of of 
graph theory. Um, but the idea is that these kinds of data sets are far better represented in a graph style structure than they are a tabular or a relational style. And so we've built several prototypes of this idea working with various different partner companies to test some of these aspects and specific ways of implementing that. And I'm now at the point where we're actually ready to build a standalone product that supports this concept. That's my sort of ultimate goal is an off-the-shelf software package that you can install into your infrastructure exactly like you would Microsoft or um, Postgres SQL. Instead of you installing a relational database, you install this knowledge graph, and then you can build applications on top of that knowledge graph to go off and get data from wherever any external vendor and replicate it into a knowledge graph that you can query and that you have control over. And then there's interesting avenues on top of that, like a market an app marketplace things like that where vendors can just write an integration for this software and it now means that your development teams don't have to figure out how to go and talk to that vendor they can just install the that vendor's application from the marketplace and be able to get that data into your graph and then join it to other data from other vendors and have this huge highly connected data set which you can then build your own applications on top of potentially or use it to augment your existing applications in your existing offerings. What's interesting to me is how foundational this is, right? It's almost as though back in the day, what happened was the creation of sharing data, the very creation of sharing data. We got it wrong or we got it as right as we could at the time. And what was missing was this inherent ability to both store and communicate the interconnectedness of the data that we're examining or sharing. It's fascinating. It's, it's a huge topic. So yeah, what's, well, it's a what's huge scope of problem to buy off. And the challenge that I'm now encountering is effectively communicating that concept because the challenge from my side is that I've been in this world as an engineer, as a leader of engineering teams for a few years now, and we've seen this pattern coming up over and over again. And as engineers, we know what products we need to solve those problems more effectively. And we're now building the tools to solve those problems. The challenge is it's not necessarily the engineers that get to choose whether to work with us on these problems. It's at the executive level and less technical people. So coming back to everything I said previously, how do you explain that at the executive level without leaking those implementation details is the real challenge. And so I think really at this point, the ideal situation for me would be to be able to find perhaps technically inclined people at organizations that have got similar problems around integrations where we can just have a conversation and I can show what I've been working on, explain a little bit more and perhaps get that sort of buy-in from those sorts of folks to really just explore the problem space using this solution and see what falls out of it from there. Um, I'm very much a person who likes to, I'm a demo driven engineer so I like to build stuff, put it in front of people and use that for feedback rather than spend 
ages working on materials to show in a boardroom. I'd much rather just write some code and show it, figure out what works, what doesn't work, and go from there. Fascinating. Well, thank you very much, Warren. I, I appreciate you taking the time to walk me through all of that, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mark. See you soon.